Amen. Amen. Second Kings chapter two, our last message on the life and times of Elijah the prophet. I've certainly enjoyed this series. I've been encouraged by it. I've been challenged by it. Can certainly identify with a lot of the different things that either happened to Elijah or was part of his life. And we come now to the end where he's taken up into heaven in probably the most dramatic way of any human being ever as God sends a fiery chariot down to earth to pick up this great prophet and take him to glory. We want to look at the last couple of days here of Elijah's life and just be reminded of some real solid biblical principles that we can glean from this passage this morning as we end this series on Elijah. We begin in 2 Kings chapter 2 with verse 1, where we read, Just before the Lord took Elijah up to heaven in a windstorm. Elijah was going to heaven. And heaven is a real place. In fact, I think that we need to stop at this point and be reminded of this truth. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Jesus said to his followers in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. So that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus has prepared a place for those who are prepared to go. Do you know, if you were to die today or Jesus was to come back, do you know you would go to heaven? See, the Bible says we don't wait until we die to know that. John writes in 1 John 5, 13, these things are written so that you might know that you have eternal life. So many people I've talked to over the years, when they talk, when you start a conversation about spiritual things, will say things like, well, I, I hope I go to heaven. I'm not sure. I, I hope when I die that, you know, God will weigh my good works against my bad works and he'll let me in. That's not what the Bible teaches about how we get to heaven. The Bible clearly teaches that if we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, and with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And when one places their personal trust and faith in the Lord Jesus and what he did, his death, burial, and resurrection, and we trust him for our salvation, the Bible says then we enter into our relationship with God through him and our future. Part of that future is that we know one day, we have that assurance within us 
that we will go to heaven and that one day we'll meet Elijah and others who've gone before us. Think about it. As a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus promises us that he has prepared a personal place for you there. Your own allotment, your own portion of the kingdom, your own place in heaven designed by Jesus just for you. Have you made preparation to go there? Are you sure? Do you know that you know that you're on your way to heaven? Folks, we could stop right here. And just by all of us being sure of the answer to that question, that would be enough. Because that's really the most important thing. Everything else is built on that assumption, if you will, that, okay, we're, we're all on the same page here. We're all assured that we're going to heaven. Now let's talk about other things in the Christian life. But let me say before we move on, that if there's anyone here, you're not sure. You don't know necessarily how to begin a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I would encourage you before the end of this day that you would find a Christian brother or sister or talk to someone here before you leave this area today. And make sure that you know before you leave this school campus today that you know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior and that you're on your way to heaven. The next thing we see is this. Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah told Elisha, stay here for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. The next thing I see in this passage is this. There is no higher calling than following the Lord and doing what he wants us to do. You see this in Elijah's life all the way up to the end. Elijah, even though he knows that his time on earth is short, he doesn't retire from serving the Lord. He doesn't pack it in. He doesn't say, well, I've done, you know, my part in serving the Lord for a long time. Now I'm just going to sit back and just wait for the Lord to take me. No, up to the very end, Elijah is following the Lord and doing what he wants, God wants him to do. Because Elijah has learned there's nothing better than that. There's nothing more fulfilling and satisfying in our earthly life than knowing we are following the Lord and we're doing what he wants us to do. Three times in this passage of scripture, Elijah tells Elisha, this is where the Lord is sending me. In verse two, he's sending me to Bethel. In verse four, he tells Elisha, now he's sending me to Jericho. In verse six, he tells Elisha, now he's sending me to Jordan. Over and over again, Elijah knew this is where God's directing me. This is where God's leading me. And I'm just simply following the Lord's leading in my life. I'm doing what God wants me to do. Folks, as we end this year, as we begin in a few days, a new year, one of the most important things God wants to sort of solidify in our lives is as we enter into this new year. We need to have the mindset that there will be nothing in this new year more fulfilling, more satisfying, more rewarding 
than just following the Lord and doing what he wants me to do in this coming year. I can't get involved in anything else. I can't throw my energy and time into anything that would be more worthwhile for me as a human being than just to follow the Lord and do what he wants me to do. To be able to say throughout this year, and especially at the end of this next year, exactly what Elijah said to Elisha. I'm just, I'm just going here because this is where the Lord wants me to go. I'm doing this because this is what the Lord wants me to do. And I'm just following the Lord. No higher calling, folks, in our lives than following the Lord and doing what he wants us to do. We also learn this. But Elisha said, back up in verse 2, as certainly as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Some members of the prophetic guild, we would say maybe today, uh, seminary students. Because one of the things Elijah did later on in his life was sort of build these little Bible colleges and seminaries for people to study the word and and to get into ministry and following him. Some members of the prophetic guild in Bethel came out to Elisha and said, do you know that today the Lord is going to take your master from you? And he answered, yes, I know. Be still. Evidently. God had revealed that Elijah's time on earth was coming to an end because not only did Elijah know it and Elisha know it, but these seminary students knew it as well. But I want to get to this point in this passage, and you've already seen it twice here. I want you to notice these places because they're significant and and they're mentioned for a reason. In verse 1, we're told that Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. Keep that place just in mind there. In fact, what I did is I just underlined all four of these places. Then in verse 2, he's on his way to Bethel. Then down in verse 4, it says, Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me now to Jericho. And then down in verse 6. Stay here, for now the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, and Jordan. What do these teach us? They teach us this. The Christian life is not meant to be a life of stagnation, but progression. Each of these places were very significant in the history of Israel and even in Elijah's own life. They they were places of progress, of, of taking one further step with God. Gilgal was representative of the beginning of the journey. And then God moved him and them, the nation of Israel, from Gilgal to Bethel, that place of revelation, if you will. Then they went to Jericho where they saw the power of God. And then they ended up at the Jordan being strengthened in their faith to cross over. All these places were very significant and signifying that God never wants us to get to a place in our walk with him where we just sort of settle down and stay here. If we are following the Lord and doing what he wants us to do, he will always want us to take that next step. Making progress, 
never being satisfied, never being complacent with where we are at because we have learned what the Bible clearly teaches. That if we're not moving forward with God, then we're automatically going backwards. There is no such thing in the Bible as a Christian or a follower of God getting to a place and sort of just staying there. That doesn't happen. We're either going forward or we're going backward. And because obviously God never wants us to start slipping backward, he's always calling us to keep making progress. And again, let me point this out. Never perfection. Never perfection on this side of heaven. But what God does expect from those who say, we are following you, God, is progress. So that, for instance... This new year coming, 2014, should be a little bit better spiritually than 2013. That this month, December 2013, should have been a little bit better than November of 2013. That this last week of December should have been a little bit better spiritually than the week before. God is always calling us to make progress along the way and never to be satisfied where we are. What kind of spiritual goals do you and I have in mind for the coming year? I certainly have goals for us as a church, and I certainly have goals for me as an individual. And it's so important that we are intentional about where we believe God is leading us and what we want to personally accomplish with God as we move along, weekly, monthly, yearly. I love a story that Howard Hendricks shared years ago as he was speaking Howard Hendricks was a longtime professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he was talking about a lady that they all knew in their church who, who uh, died at her desk in her home. She was 100 years old when she died, and when they found her dead at her desk, she was writing out goals spiritually for the next 10 years. And Howard Hendricks said to the audience, that's dying with your boots on right there. And he said, I love that. And I thought after I heard that, I love that too. That's the way we as Christians should be. That we're thankful for where God has brought us, but we know we're never done until like Elijah, he actually takes us from this place and puts us up there with him. Always progress. Always other things to see God do in and through us. How does that lay out for you in this coming year? And then here's another one that's very important. We see in these verses, friendship and fellowship. We must not Live alone and walk alone as brothers and sisters in Christ. We must not withdraw from those who can encourage us. Notice over and over again throughout the passage we've already read that Elijah would say to Elisha, like up in verse 2, Stay here, Lord sending me to Bethel. Elisha says to him, As certainly as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. 
Same things repeated in verse four. Elijah tells Elisha, stay here. The Lord's sending me to Jericho. Elisha says, as certainly as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. So they went together to Jericho. Again in verse 6, stay here. The Lord's sending me to Jordan. And Elisha once again says the same thing. I will not leave you. So they traveled on, notice verse 6, together. This was a hard lesson for Elijah to learn in his life and one that we see him making progress with. Because as we studied the life and times of Elijah the prophet, we saw that at one time he was all alone. And he even went out and said, God, take my life. Just kill me. I'm done. This is too much. This is too big for me. And I'm doing this all by myself. And God had to gently remind him, Elijah, I got 7,000 prophets in Israel who've not bowed the knee to Baal. You're, You're not the only one out there trying to live the Christian life, but you're trying to do it on your own. And so that's why God brings Elisha dramatically into Elijah's life. He's like, look, you now need to make sure you walk with this guy for the rest of your life. And and you're going to have other people around you too, but you have got to get past Elijah trying to live this life with me even on your own. You need other brothers and sisters in Christ around you. You need to be connected to them. You need to have that fellowship and friendship. That's the way God has always designed it. And that's the way it needs to be in our lives as well. So as again, we think about that for us. I know, you know, we live in a country and a culture where we all get so busy And we let life start dictating to us. And pretty soon we look up and another year's gone and I haven't invested in friendships. I haven't, I haven't went the extra mile to try to get together with people and connect with them and stay connected and maintain these relationships because God will always bring us back to Jeff, make sure you have people in your life. Make sure you're surrounding yourself with the right people. Don't withdraw from those who can encourage you. Don't be an island. Don't isolate yourself. Don't keep trying to do this by yourself. Keep bringing these people in as I bring them in and walk through life with them. We all need to be reminded of that. That is one of the reasons why God created the church. And that's why God commands us as Christians to set aside at least one time a week where we make it a priority to come together as God's people. It's, a, it's important. And, and we need to maintain this. Not only ending this year, but moving into the next year. We see that here. We, we see the fellowship and friendship of Elijah and Elisha. Something else we see here as well. When you come down to verse 6, Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he replied, As certainly as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they traveled on together. 
The 50 members of the prophetic guild went and stood opposite them at a distance while Elijah and Elisha stood by the Jordan. And the Jordan has always been, that river, a significant spot for God's people. Elijah took the cloak or the prophet's garment that he wore, folded it up, and hit the water with it. And the water divided and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. The next thing we see in this passage about the last couple of days of Elijah's life is this. We never, ever stop living by faith. We must always trust God to do what we cannot do and live in dependence upon him. There will always be a Jordan River to cross in our lives. And once we cross that, somewhere down the road, God will bring another Jordan River into our lives. God did that with his people. He's doing that right up to the very end with Elijah. We never get to a point as followers of God where we go, okay... Now, I I got this, God, and I never have to trust you anymore. I never have to live by faith. God will never let that happen. God will always bring things into our life in order to strengthen our faith and in order to get us to live by faith. The just shall live by faith. We are to walk by faith, not by sight. And every time you and I get our eyes off of God and begin to just sort of manage life and handle life on our own and and go, God, you know, I'm in a good place now. I got this. Just sort of hang there on the sidelines and I'll call you if I need you. Pretty soon, God's going to bring something into our lives that's too big for us to handle. And again, we can either, like we saw last week, start beating our head against the wall and still trying to do it on our own, or we can humbly cry out to God and say, God, I had to learn again that life's too big for me and I can't do this without you and I need to live in dependence on you every day. And that Jordan River will be something different for all of us. But God knows what that Jordan River is. What is that Jordan River right now in your life? That thing that's out there that you and God need to pass through or pass beyond. It's an obstacle in your way from being who you know God wants you to be. It is an obstacle in your way from continuing to go deeper with with God. Whatever that is, that impediment, God wants you to learn you can cross that Jordan. You can pass over that. You can pass beyond it. You you can say goodbye to that and see that in your rear view mirror. Now, again, there'll come another one. But for right now, God wants you to see victory over that Jordan River. And the only way we cross those Jordan Rivers is by faith. By trusting in God. Elijah and Elisha couldn't cross the Jordan River on their own on dry ground. They had to depend on God to part those waters. Just like the Israelites had to trust God through Moses to part the Red Sea or else Pharaoh was going to get them and kill them all. And you and I have got to get to that point where we realize God always wants us to live by faith. He always wants us to trust in Him. And what is God right now in our lives wanting us to trust Him for? What what does He want us to depend, depend on Him for? Always, always, always. But there may be a specific Jordan River that God wants you 
to get beyond this coming year. Maybe it's something that you've struggled with for years and you're even discouraged because it's like, I just can't get past this. God wants to reinforce in your life through his spirit and through his word. Yes, you can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I will get over this Jordan this year if I just trust God and look to him and live in dependence on him every day. This is what we learn here, even in the life of Elijah and Elisha. And then we see in verse 9, when they had crossed over, Elijah turns to Elisha and says, what can I do for you before I am taken away from you? And Elisha answered, may I receive a double portion of the prophetic spirit that energizes you? And Elijah replied, that's a difficult request. If you see me taken from you, may it be so. But if you don't, it will not happen. What I see in these verses is this principle. We must always be preparing the next generation. That's what Elijah did. with the, That was his responsibility before God. Not just so he could have a partner. Not just so he could have someone in his life to encourage and help him. But God brought this person into his life so that he could pour into him. And so that that prophetic ministry would go on even after Elijah was gone. God always wants the church and the people of the church and the people of God to be preparing the next generation. Because one day, if the Lord doesn't come back, one day some pastor or minister is going to preach our funeral and we're going to be gone. And what's going to happen to that next generation if we do not pass the baton to them in a proper way? These verses also remind us, what example are we leaving behind for others to follow what spiritual legacy am i leaving to others and you can begin to even think about that now and we can we can begin to make a difference with that think about it this way If your name is mentioned, what would people think of spiritually when our name is mentioned in conversation? Is there something that would immediately come to mind in a positive spiritual way with other people? Oh man, they have such a servant's heart or man, they have such a gift of hospitality or, you know, they're such, such giving and generous, you know, believers or man they they just got the ability to teach or they love the word of god or whatever that is folks we are already building our spiritual legacy we don't wait to build our spiritual legacy and to start you know setting an example for others at the end of our life we do that throughout our whole life as we lay it down brick by brick stone by stone And that was true of Elijah as well. What do you think of when you think of the prophet Elijah? Those things that you and I think about, as far as Elijah goes, they didn't all happen in the last few years of his life. They were things that were built up over time. And that's where real legacies are left. 
Legacies of Christians aren't left by those who are shooting stars. Who, man, get on fire for God and really burn bright and hot for a couple years and then burn out. The Christians and the Christians' lives that have made the most impact on you and me and the Christians that will make the most impact on others in the next generation are those who have done it over the long haul. Those who have stuck with it and those who have just been that stable, that's who they are, that's who they've been year after year, month after month. That's the ones that make an impact. And that's why you and I need to start thinking about that now. Because though it may be years from now before God takes us to glory, we have to start thinking about what example am I leaving to that next generation? What spiritual legacy am I leaving behind others? What will they say about me and think about me when I'm gone? A lot of times we don't give thought to that. But I guess I have a little bit of a different perspective as a pastor because over 29 years of ministry, I've done hundreds of funerals and memorial services. And when folks die, there's some, I have no trouble. In fact, I have to cut down what I say because I could say so much about their life and legacy and example. Other funerals I've done, sad to say, I've said actually very little from a personal perspective. Either because I didn't know them very well or... They didn't have much of a spiritual legacy. Sometimes we need to think about, what would a pastor say at my funeral service? What words would friends and family say about me when I'm gone? That's what we see happening here before God takes Elijah. Then look at verse 11. I love this. As they were walking along and talking, suddenly... A fiery chariot pulled by fiery horses appeared. They went between Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah went up to heaven in a windstorm. That would have been so cool. (laughs) Elijah is an Old Testament example, along with Enoch, of some believers who will never experience death but will go to heaven directly from earth. They are sort of examples in the Old Testament of the New Testament Christian that Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians. When he talks about the Lord descending from heaven and those who are still alive and remain being caught up, raptured, to meet the Lord in the air. Elijah and Enoch are examples of that. That not all believers will have to go through death. That some believers will actually be alive when the Lord returns. And like Elijah and Enoch, will never experience physical death. But for the rest of us, for the majority of humanity throughout history, death is the way we get there. And that's why it gives us, hopefully as Christians, even a different perspective on death. 
But I did want to say this. As I read this passage and studied this and came to this point, I also saw this principle. And that is this. That those who are faithful to the Lord and walk with Him through every challenge and obstacle will see Him do unexplainable things time and time again. Those who are faithful to the Lord and who walk with Him through every challenge and obstacle will see God do the unexplainable time and time again. That was the privilege of Elijah and Elisha. And especially when you think about it from even Elijah. I mean, think about it. Don't you think at this point Elijah is glad that God didn't answer his promise to kill him? Don't you think at this point he's glad God didn't come down and kill him that day and take his life? That he was willing to get back in there and just start it all over again. And get back up and start walking with God. And what about Elisha? You know, he goes to all these Bible colleges, if you will, and and seminaries where all these people meet him and say, Hey, you know, God's going to take your master away today. And you don't really get it in the English, but in the Hebrew, basically what they're saying is, Why are you still following this guy? And, And then even Elijah says, Elisha, stay here. I'm going on by myself. And in spite of all this, Elisha says, no, I'm I'm not leaving you. I am not leaving you. Through every obstacle and challenge, no matter how many people tell me to stop leaving, you know, leave you behind. Even if you tell me to leave you behind, I'm staying here. And it's only because Elisha was willing to walk with Elijah up to the very end that he saw this dramatic exit from earth into heaven for his friend. Folks, too many Christians, they walk away. From relationships, from experience and stuff way too early to ever see God really do unexplainable things. Because God will do these unexplainable things, but it's only when we're willing to hang in there. And instead of running away from things and walking away from things, to just hang in there and let God be God and trust Him. That's when we begin to see the miracles. That's when we begin to see the power of God. That's when we begin to see God and look back and go, how did that happen? And how could it? It's because we just hung in there and we trusted God that at some point in His perfect timing, He was going to work. And that's what you see here. You know, we concentrate on, wow, that was really cool that God sent a fiery chariot and fiery horses down to pick up Elijah. And I'm sure that was cool. But they would have never had that experience in either of their lives had they not hung in there with God and hung in there with each other to the very end. One more, and then we'll close. Verse 12. While Elisha was watching, he was crying out, My father, my father. This is simply a term of respect and honor for Elijah, his mentor. The chariot and horsemen of Israel. I want to stop for a moment. This isn't actually one of my points in my message, but I think this is important. Why does Elisha call Elijah the chariots and horsemen of Israel? Two reasons. One, he saw Elijah as a one-man army with God. 
that even though people would say, oh, look at the army of Israel, Elisha saw that the real army of Israel was Elijah because of his faith in God. And secondly, I think Elisha was saying here that the real strength of Israel is not the military army. The real strength of Israel are people like Elijah. People who trust God. People who live for God. People who are committed to God. People can focus on the horses and the chariots. But Elisha, I think, is saying that's the real strength of Israel. People like Elijah. Then the Bible says he could no longer see him. He grabbed his clothes, verse 12, and tore them in two. He picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen off of him, and went back and stood on the shore of the Jordan. Because after Elijah died, Elisha had his own Jordan to cross, didn't he? He took the cloak that had fallen off Elijah, hit the water with it, and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he hit the water, it divided And Elisha crossed over. And here's what we learn from this. That the same God who empowered Elijah, empowered Elisha. And here's what you and I learn from that. The same God who empowered Elijah and empowered Elisha can empower you too. I hope you believe that today. Because if you just read a passage like this in scripture and go, well... Yeah, that's cool for Elijah and Elijah. I'm, I'm glad to see they, they had such power and, 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 and God could work through them in such great ways. But you leave it there and you don't transfer it and apply it to you personally. You're missing the whole reason why God includes these verses. Because God wants you and I to realize that he's the same God. And he can help us cross our Jordans too. In fact, Listen to this verse from 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. The author says, Certainly, the Lord watches the whole earth carefully and is ready to strengthen those who are devoted to Him. Think about it. The God of the universe looks down on this earth, looks around, watching, Waiting to strengthen those people who are devoted to him. The reason why Elijah and Elisha had the power to cross their Jordans was because of their devotion and commitment. And so many Christians today, they want the power of God operating in their life. But they're not willing to pay the price. The price for this kind of power to cross Jordans comes from being devoted and committed to the Lord. You see. And the Bible even tells us that in the last days, within religious communities and even the church, there will be many who have a form or outward appearance of godliness, but are powerless. No spiritual power. Because folks, the spiritual power that we see in Elijah and Elijah's life 
comes from their commitment to God. You want that kind of power? You want to be able to say in your life the same thing Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Then God would simply say, then put me first. Have the mindset that there is no higher calling in our lives as human beings than to just follow the Lord and do what he wants me to do every day. You take that mindset into this new year and whatever Jordan appears in your way, you will start to see God enable you to cross those Jordans one by one. Because the same God who empowered Elijah and Elisha wants to empower you as well. Certainly, the Lord watches the whole earth carefully and is ready to strengthen those who are devoted to him. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the life and times of Elijah the prophet. But God, help us not to focus on Elijah or Elisha. Because these men wanted us to focus, would want us to focus on the God behind them. The God empowering them. The God strengthening them. The God enabling them to cross their Jordans in their life. And so, God, as we come to this time right now, help us not to focus on Elijah or Elisha. Help us to focus on you, the God of the universe, a God who is so great that, Lord, we have a hard time even understanding and articulating and expressing all that you are. You are the uncreated God. You have always been, you always are, you always will be. And yet, Lord, you have created us in your image. And you have told us clearly in your word that you want to strengthen us and empower us throughout our lives. And yet, Lord, we understand that you have created this world in such a way and us in such a way that in order for us to truly experience life with you and the power of you in our lives, that we need to learn to live by faith and trust you and depend upon you. And you have taught us even here again today that you don't want us to live alone, but you want us to live in fellowship and friendship with others who are going after you as well. God, help us to take these principles and these lessons from the life of Elijah and help us to personally apply them to our life. Lord, may this truth of your word make a difference in our lives as we end one year and begin a new year. Help us to keep our focus on you. Help us to understand that in your greatness, Lord, there's nothing too hard, nothing too difficult for you. And you, as a great God, can enable us to meet any challenge and overcome any obstacle in our life. May we truly have the conviction that no matter what Jordan we need to cross, 
we can cross it with you this coming year. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.